Well, hey everyone, welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is John Alexander. I'm the campus pastor here at Lionel Lakes. And we're in the middle of a fantastic series called Raising the Bar. A fantastic one, but a challenging one. Because Jesus preached one of the most challenging sermons in history that we now refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. What might be most amazing is that some 2,000 years later, Jesus' teaching on anger, marriage, and revenge is applicable today as it was back then. Today's message is titled, Secrets and Rewards, and it comes from Matthew 6. But before we dive in, I want to begin by asking you a question. Do you ever feel like you deserve a reward? As a parent of two young kids, Maddox, who's four years old, and Marley, who's eight months old, I frequently feel like someone should be handing me some sort of monetary reward or trophy for the things that I do as a parent. I heard a comedian describe it this way. With young children, things that weren't even supposed to be things have become nearly impossible. Things like leaving the house. People without kids leave the house like this. Hey, honey, you want to leave the house? Sure. And out they go. People with kids. Well, let me give you a recent example. Last week, we wanted to leave our house by 5.30 p.m. to get to our small group gathering. So at 4.30 p.m., an hour before, I moved into drill sergeant-like execution. There were hunts for shoes, negotiations around what is and isn't appropriate to wear, and demands to go potty. And that was just with my wife. There's buttoning and zipping. Oh, people with kids, we spend so much time buttoning and zipping, don't we? Maddox had changed out of the clothes he was supposed to wear and into his current favorite outfit, which is a mesh see-through shirt, baseball pants, baseball cleats, and a real football helmet. Marley had managed to crawl over to a bin of toys and pulled out 17 cheap plastic toys that all started making annoying sounds at once. I'm telling you, there was crying, bribing, bluffing, carrying, counting, packing, threatening, and of course, lots and lots of sweating. But somehow, we made it out of the house by 5.30 p.m. Now with kids, I feel like every time we make it somewhere on time, someone should hand me a trophy that says, you are the greatest person in the world. No one does that, because let's get real. There are very few rewards in parenting young kids. Question, do you ever long for recognition or reward? I mean, wouldn't it feel a little more worth the challenges in life if we knew that there was going to be rewards? Well, in the scripture we're going to look at today, Jesus talks about rewards. In Matthew 6, 18, he says this, your father who sees what you do in secret, there it is, will reward you. Life isn't easy. It's not often fair. People may never notice, but God is watching. And if the God of the universe is offering rewards, I don't know about you, but I want in. Now, before we talk about secrets and rewards, Jesus has just concluded a section in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 5 where he says, you have heard it said, but I say, telling his followers to forget what they thought they knew. Instead, I've got an even better 
and higher standard for you. I'm going to challenge you to raise the bar. And then he continues on in Matthew 6, and he says this, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will, here we go, lose now the reward from your Father in heaven. Do you ever do good things in public to be admired by others? (laughs) I do. Last week I was at Caribou Coffee and I was about to leave a tip, a whole dollar bill. Okay, not the change from the coffee, an actual dollar bill. But when I went to put that dollar bill into the tip jar, the barista turned her back on me. So I waited to put the tip into the tip jar until she turned back around to see me. Why would I do that? To be admired by others. Jesus continues on in Matthew 6. He says, when you give a gift to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. In the original Greek, this word hypocrite referred to a performer or an actor who wore multiple masks during a performance. In other words, they were always pretending to be someone else. But that's kind of what hypocrites do, right? Pretend. Behind the mask, there's a different story going on. The truth is, we all wear masks at times, right? I mean, maybe you have a mask for church, another mask for work, another mask for your friends, and of course, a larger set of masks for your in-laws. But none of those masks actually reflect what's going on in secret. See, the problem for Jesus is when our private self doesn't match up with who we are in public. I mean, maybe you'll put on your best Christian-y behavior, whatever that means, when you're at church. But but when you go home, you know, it's you turn back into that cynical, judgmental, angry person maybe that you really are. Uh, When your friends are over, maybe you'll you'll act with love and kindness and patience towards your kids. but, But when your friends leave, your patience and kindness turns to anger and disgust when no one's watching. Maybe you have no private relationship with God. I think maybe that's what Jesus is getting at here. The only time you engage with God is really when you're seen by others. Is there an area of your private life that does not line up? with your public self. Whatever it is, Jesus' followers struggled with the same things that we struggle with today. Back in those days, people based their entire sense of worth almost solely on what other people thought of them. And his followers had begun to make sure that people were seeing their religious practices in public. Because in those days, the more religiously devout you were, the more honor and worth that you received. But again, today, we're not much different. It might not always be about religion, but we certainly find our sense of worth based on what other people think about us. We've got Instagram and Facebook, sports teams and classrooms, workplaces and social groups to derive our worth. We find our worth, I know I do, in how we parent and raise our kids. Because we all desire, now me included, probably at the top of the list, to find our worth in these public arenas. We tend to put on a great public face, no matter what's happening privately. But see, when your highlight reel doesn't reflect what's going on behind the mask, Jesus had a warning for us. He said, I assure you, they have received 
all the reward they will ever get. In other words, you can actually have the reward now. You can have the admiration, the recognition, the people slapping you on the back, but that's all you're going to get. Here's why this is so challenging from Jesus. We actually like those rewards. I know I do. I want to impress you. I want you to admire me. That's why I struggle to figure out what stories to tell, what pictures to post online. I want other people to recognize and admire me. That's why it's a constant daily battle to ask myself whether I'm doing this thing to impress others or to impress God. It's a constant internal wrestling match. And if I'm being completely transparent, it all comes from a place of deep insecurity, just trying to manage what other people think about me in public. Pastor John Orberg refers to this as an addiction to impression management. To give you a practical example, I drive a Lexus. Did you have an immediate reaction to that? Trust me, I think about this. As a pastor, I'm, I'm probably different than 99% of the world. I don't want people to see me driving a luxury vehicle. So here's what I make sure people know and what I'll make sure now all 20,000 of you know. Yeah, it's a Lexus, but it's a 1998. It has 150,000 miles on it. The reason that I drive it is because my brother sold it to me for $1,200 when my Toyota Camry hit the dust. And it has a huge dent in the rear bumper. So don't be jealous next time you see me driving around in this luxury, high-powered machine. That's kind of a silly example, but I'm trying to make a point. We spend a lot of time managing how other people see us in public. Think about how this might apply to your own life. Do you give generously? A good thing. But somehow always manage to bring up how tight money is or how sacrificial you're being? Do you pray, spend time in prayer, a good thing, but really only do it when you're being seen by others? Do you do good things just to be admired by other people? Now, before you start feeling beat up about this, let me just assure you now, we're all going to struggle with impression management the rest of our lives. Furthermore, there are plenty of times where we should manage our public impressions, where we should be thinking about that. There are times to do good things in public. Jesus prayed often in public. Jesus performed miracles and did good things in public. It's helpful for me to hear other people talk about the things they do in private so I can learn from them. It's helpful for me to share with others how maybe I practice giving or generosity or other spiritual disciplines. But here's the key. See, according to Jesus, if we do these things primarily for public recognition, then that's all the reward we're ever going to get. But if we want an even greater reward, listen to what he says here. He says, give, give your gifts in secret, and your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. God rewards what's happening in secret. It's always about the heart, not on the, about the impression we're making on others.
That's why I want to provide you with two truths when it comes to secrets and rewards. And the first is this, the best reward is truly God himself. In Matthew 6, as Jesus is teaching, he uses three spiritual disciplines as examples. And in all three spiritual disciplines, he says this, when you give, when you fast, when you pray. And he could have gone on, when you go to church, uh, when you read the Bible. See, according to Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when you do these things, make sure your primary reward is to grow closer to God. When my wife Emily and I were engaged to be married, during one of her bachelorette parties, she received a, a gift card. can't believe I'm going to tell this story, but uh, I did get permission. <laughs> the gift card was $100 to Victoria's Secret. Now listen, I, I still blush when I walk by the store. I'm not making any statements about the store, but she received this $100 gift card to Victoria's Secret. And when we got married, frankly, I expected that reward to be something Victoria's Secret-y. <laughs> Instead, when Emily went to the store to use the gift card, she came home with a pair of sweats. Flustered, I asked her, why did you buy a pair of sweats? And she said, I needed a comfortable pair of sweats. See how comfortable they are? And I said, go to Walmart and buy a pair of sweats, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now here's the good news. I wasn't marrying Emily for whatever she might purchase from Victoria's Secret, although that would have been nice. No, I was marrying Emily to be in a lifelong relationship with her. And isn't it true? The best things in life are relationships. That's why the best reward that God can offer is simply himself. To grow closer to him. To know him more. To be in a relationship with God. So make sure that God is your primary reward. Second truth about secrets and rewards is this. Your secrets will lead to either reward or regret. Scripture is crystal clear now. God saved you by his grace when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to earn that. But even though we know the final score, there is game being played. There is life to live, work to be done. According to this scripture, rewards to gain and rewards to lose. That's why Jesus' teaching is so challenging. Each decision you make, especially the ones you make in secret, will lead to either reward or regret what you do with that unexpected $1,000, how you talk to your spouse when no one is paying attention, the way you love your kids in those last five minutes before bedtime, the gifts you give to people when they have no way to trace it back to you. The prayers you pray for people when they have no idea that you are praying for them. The conversations you have with God. Your secrets will lead to either reward or regret. You know, growing up, I played a lot of baseball. You maybe know that about me. But my junior year of college, I converted to a position that I had never played before. Catcher. 
I hit left-handed. I had a good arm. I'm a big guy. Listen, five times a weekend, someone comes up to me and says, you are way bigger than I thought, which I think is offensive, but I tend to just roll with it. Six foot two, 200-something pounds, and I was a hard worker. So that skill set, that combination of things, provided me the opportunity to play professionally for the Atlanta Braves organization. Now, there were a few things, more than a few things, but a few things that I was terrible at. One of those was catching pop-ups. Not only was I terrible at catching pop-ups, but I had a major anxiety around it. Every time I saw a ball go up in the air, I either pretended like I couldn't see it or I let someone else take it. Well, during my rookie season in the Gulf Coast League, there's a lot of jockeying and bragging going on. That's unfortunately the point of minor league baseball, to kind of prove how good you are to everyone else. One day, the coach had a practice plan that involved catching pop-ups. And as soon as the coach started getting everyone in motion, I had this thought to myself, I can't show how terrible I am at catching pop-ups. So I went to the coach and I said, I have a stomach ache. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> now listen, at, at this point, I was 22 years old. A grown man paid meagerly to play a game, pretending to be sick. I didn't pretend to be sick since my senior year of high school. But I spent the next 45 minutes in the bathroom pretending that I had a stomach ache, also that I didn't have to practice catching pop-ups. What a joke. I'm even embarrassed retelling this story. Next game against the Philadelphia Phillies, we were up one, runners on second and third, one out to go, and no kidding, the ball goes straight up in the air. All I have to do is catch it. I spun, I circled, I prayed, and I dropped the ball, and I got fired at the end of the summer. But right then, in that moment, I wished so badly that I had done the right thing in secret. Because what we do in secret will eventually come out in public. But I didn't do the right thing. And it led to regret. I wonder, how are you going to feel when that ball is up in the air? See, what you've looked at, how you've talked, where your mind wanders, how you spend your time, the kind of discipline that, that you maintain in secret, all of those are going to add up and lead somewhere. So be honest with yourself. Are you living the kind of life in secret that will lead to reward or regret? I've kept a quote on my wall for years that applies to all areas of my life, including this passage and my relationship with God. But it says, the best kind of pride is that which compels a man or a woman to do their very best when no one is watching. That's the question, right? What are you like when no one is watching? See, those are your secrets, your greatest secrets. And no one knows except you and God. This, at this moment, at this point, this is where faith now truly begins to strengthen or weaken, lead to reward or regret. Because when we're willing to obey God in secret, without public recognition, then the bar is raised. We've hit graduate level school of faith. And God is going to pour out his rewards, his rewards of favor, 
his rewards of blessing, opportunity, responsibilities, leadership. And he's going to send rewards ahead into eternity. Rewards that are going to be so great that we can only hope and imagine how great they're truly going to be. Here's what I hope you're hearing from this passage. God rewards what's happening in secret more than anything else. That's why I want to end by telling you how we can put this into practice. And fortunately, Jesus shows us the three secrets that God rewards the most. And the first is this, secret giving. He says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He says, give your gifts in private, and again, your Father who sees everything will reward you. You know what this means? Pastor Bill Hybels described it this way. There should be no, when you give, there should be no press conferences, no drawing attention to yourself, no leaving that check on the edge of the secure giving box. It just means you make a donation to a church or give a sacrificial gift to a person in need and just give anonymously, secretly, only between you and your heavenly father. That way it frees you from the motivation to do it, to be rewarded publicly. Personally, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that practices consistent, generous, sacrificial, secret giving week in and week out. There are thousands of people who tithe without fanfare week in and week out. These people are raising the bar. Do you see the seat you're sitting in doesn't have a name attached to it? That's because someone paid for it anonymously. There are thousands of people in this community, in our churches, that are giving to organizations that are on the ground, feeding the hungry and caring for the poor. These people are raising the bar, and they are experiencing rewards, the rewards that only generosity can bring, rewards of freedom from the grip of money, freedom from the grip of greed, freedom from the grip of material possessions. And they are also sending rewards ahead into eternity where one day they're going to face their maker and their creator who's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the reward that I want to live for. Okay, secret giving. Number two, second practice to implement is this, secret fasting. Fasting is the practice of abstaining from something, usually food. Jesus says this, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. His followers had developed a habit of making sure everyone knew that they were fasting by failing to take a shower or comb their hair, telling everyone how hungry they were. Truthfully, we don't talk a lot about fasting, but Jesus expected his followers would fast. It seems strange, though. Why would we abstain from eating for a period of time? Well, let's put it this way. Many of you are facing a major decision right now. Or maybe you're facing a major challenge or a trauma. Um, and, and maybe you, you determine that, that the only way that you can make it through this situation is that you've got to pray your way through it. So you wake up on Monday morning, you say, I've got to pray. 
But when you get to work, you know, the emails start piling up, the work pours in, and suddenly prayer gets sidelined. Here's where fasting comes in. Try going into that Monday, face into that major decision, trauma, or challenge, and try not eating. Just drink water. You know what's going to happen? Several times throughout the course of a day, you're going to feel this this pang and this punch in your stomach that's telling you it's time for a donut or a coffee. And you're going to think to yourself, why am I hungry? Oh, it's because I'm not eating. Why am I not eating? Well, it's because several times throughout the course of a day, I want to be reminded that there is an issue, a request that I want to bring before God. I fast when I'm writing or prepping for messages. I fast usually on days that I'm going to preach or when I face a major decision. It reminds me of my dependence on God and the power alone that he can bring. I find that as I fast through half of a day or a full day, my focus and my intensity starts to rise and I bring those requests before God. Richard Foster, a theologian, says it this way. He said, fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that will never happen any other way. Friends, this is the reward. Spiritual breakthroughs. Of course, there will be additional rewards of learning discipline, learning to focus on God rather than other things. But is there some area of your life that you just haven't been able to break through? I suggest you try fasting. Go from sunup to sundown. Don't eat. And every time you feel that pang or that punch in your gut, bring your request before God. Just make sure you comb your hair. (laughs) Don't fast to lose a few pounds. Fast to grow closer to God. Okay, secret fasting. The third and final way Jesus talks about is secret praying. He says when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, again, who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Of course, there are times where we are supposed to pray publicly. Jesus himself modeled it for us. But these people were praying publicly just so that other people would admire them, would recognize them. It comes down to motivation. He continues on, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray now, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Prayer isn't meant to be a spectacle for show, to impress God or others. It's a way to build a personal, intimate relationship with God. I got to tell you... (laughs) As a man, this part was always difficult for me to understand. Uh, Why do I need an intimate relationship with anyone other than my wife? I've learned there is no greater reward than experiencing a personal, intimate relationship with God. Faith is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's filled a hole that I didn't even know needed filling. This intimate, personal relationship brings me peace and protection, security, and love. And the way to experience that kind of personal, 
intimate relationship with God is through secret praying. The point is not the where. The point is not even the how. Jesus goes on to say, don't babble on. Just say what you need. We can't stand prayer babblers. Jesus can't stand prayer babblers. Just talk to God. Talk to Jesus. Tell him what you need. The point of prayer is really the who. I mean, this is God, the creator of the universe, who who wants to have an actual conversation with me. His calendar isn't ever overbooked. He's never distracted. He's always available, and he wants to have this conversation with me. That's the reward. The reward is a relationship with God, an intimacy with God, a God who knows all your secrets and still thinks the world of you. A God who loves you deeply and immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. A God who cares for you. A God who forgives you. A God who will never leave nor forsake you. That's the reward. A relationship with that kind of God. Personally, it's, it's helped my prayer life to to picture Jesus sitting next to me. Now, before you think I'm getting a little kooky, I promise I'm not. I don't formulate an actual picture of him. I can't tell you what he looks like. I just imagine he's sitting there in the car with me, on the couch in the morning, and I just talk to him. Simple as that. Brendan Manning, an author and speaker and pastor who recently passed away, told a story about visiting an elderly man who was dying. And as Brennan walked into this man's home, into his bedroom, um, he went to sit down in, in this empty old wooden chair that was right next to this old man's bed. And as Brennan's about to sit down in this wooden chair, the elderly dying man motions for Brennan to go sit somewhere else and to leave that chair open. The man says to Brennan, you know, the reason I wanted you to sit somewhere else is because I talk to Jesus when he sits in that chair. He said, I never used to really be good at prayer at all or this faith thing, but over the last couple of years, ever since I I put this wooden chair next to my bed, I've talked to Jesus. I just tell him how I'm feeling. I tell him I'm lonely. I tell him what I'm worried about. I tell him I'm scared. I, I just talk to him. Brendan said, that's incredible. Uh, You captured what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to have actual conversations and dialogue with the living Christ. Well, a few days later, the elderly man's daughter calls Brennan to let him know that her father has passed away. And at the end of the conversation, the daughter says, you know, the strangest thing happened. When I walked into his room, I found him sprawled across with his head laying there on that empty old wooden chair, she said. Strangest thing. But you know, that, that's the heart of prayer right there. What it means to have such a deep, intimate relationship with God. And if we believe scripture to be true, that man is experiencing incredible rewards in heaven. Are you giving, fasting, or praying? This has been challenging for me (laughs) because Jesus assumes it's not an if, it's a when. 
So if you aren't doing these things, just try starting with one of them. But if you want to raise the bar spiritually, try doing one of these in secret. God's going to reward you for that. Maybe you've been feeling a little stuck in your faith. Maybe you've been drifting in your relationship with God. Maybe you haven't experienced any real answered prayers. Maybe there's been no real spiritual growth for quite some time. Maybe you haven't become more loving, joyful, or generous in the last couple of months or years. Maybe you've been missing the mark when it comes to your relationship with God. Maybe you've been waiting for some sort of breakthrough in your life and you just can't seem to break through. Some of you have been living a hypocritical life long enough and it's time to become a better, more godly person in all areas of your life. Jesus has the anecdote. It's to try one of these things in secret. Give, fast, or pray. It's time to raise the bar Pick one of them and try it this week. Even though no one else will know what you are doing, God does. He sees and knows everything. And one day, all of those secret moments will be added up. And they will lead to either reward or regret. But if we obey God behind closed doors, in secret, you can bet that we are going to experience some incredible rewards from our Heavenly Father. All right, hey, join us next week as we continue on in this Raising the Bar series. It's been challenging, but it's been good, so we hope you join us next week. Across all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. God, we thank you for being a God who knows uh, the worst things about us and yet loves us anyways. God, there are people here who need to know that you love them despite their deepest, darkest secrets. And we hold that to be true. And we know that's true, God. We pray for those secrets in our lives. As challenging as this is, Teach us all to obey you behind closed doors that even when no one is watching, God, compel us to give, to fast, to pray, to read, to grow closer to you. Lord, I pray specifically for myself, for everyone here, that we would grow closer to you this week, that we would experience the personal, intimate relationship that we can have with you, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for loving us, even though we don't deserve it at times. Thank you for forgiving us, even though we don't deserve it at times. God, you are a God of compassion, of faith, of hope, of love, and we hold on to that as we go about our weeks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everyone. If you would like prayer, we do have a prayer team down in front. We'll see you next week.